What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Before we get into the show, fun fact, this podcast was born out of a newsletter that we started way back in 2012. People really seem to like it, and we think you will too. It's a quick hit list of 10 things we've discovered recently that we love. Everything from recipes to beauty products to books to tools to truly anything that excites us. We send it every Monday. We do take some holidays off, and it's free. Sign up at a thing or two hq.com. Here's the show. Welcome to A Thing or Two, a deep dive into stuff we think more people should know about. I'm Claire Mazer. And I'm Erica Cerullo. If you want more where this came from and want to support us in general, head to a thing or two hq.com and sign up for Secret Menu, which will give you weekly access to members-only content. To share your thoughts on this episode or anything at all, leave us a voicemail at 833-632-5463 or DM us on Instagram at a thing or two hq. Oh, you know what else we love? Mm. A review. Mm. A review. And you don't even have to type anything. Mm-mm. You can just hit the stars. If you're not feeling inspired, moved, you know, yeah. interested and thumbing things out on your phone. We get it. Yeah, just five stars. However, I will say at the time of this recording, we are two, no, one day away from Erica's 40th birthday. So if you feel like giving her a big 40th birthday present, you could type out a review. Please donate a review to me. (laughs) I just feel like we're not asking you to give her a birthday present every year, but it is her 40th. No, it's my 40th. Yeah, it is my 40th. Exactly. (sighs) Weird. Congratulations to you. Thank you so much. Thank you so very much. Can we talk about television? Yeah. This came up at this came up at like a drinks the other night. You have so many thoughts and it's mm-hmm. really they're really fascinating to me. They are for longtime listeners, they feel kind of related to Nespresso Machine and the bedroom thoughts mm. to me, which was that at some point you really wanted a coffee maker in, the in your room. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, this feels, it feels, it feels adjacent to me. Mm-hmm. Basically, how can you make your bedroom a hotel room? Kind of. <laughs> kind of. It's not totally dissimilar. I think, okay. I bet. Let's start from the I top. I really, yeah. really want other people's experiences with this. So my issue yes. is that mm-hmm. our TV is tucked away in a room, the room from which I am speaking to you right now, that has at least two. We call it green couch. We room. call it the green couch room. And we never know what to call it. Like Cam calls it my office. Sometimes we call it the TV room. It also has the treadmill. So at any given time. It's where guests sleep. Yeah. On, like, yeah, yes. it's everything. It's also the guest it's, room. So it's really about four uses. Four to nine. Yeah. And for sure. it works really well. And it's a great room to be in. But it's the type of room that you're not hanging out in unless you're doing one of those things. And usually mm-hmm. it's not being used for more than one of those things at once. So it's like if someone's watching the TV in here, I'm not also working or working out in here. Right. Sure. And. So it means that like 
you there has to be real intention behind TV watching, which I don't think is necessarily a bad thing, right? You don't want to have the TV on all the time in the background, certainly with the toddler. You want to limit the amount of screen time they're consuming and what they're consuming. But what it means is, one, our living room, which is meant to be sort of the lounging area, doesn't actually get that much lounging happening mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. there's no TV down there. There's no TV down there. And I, I sometimes I worry that it's almost beginning to take on the characteristics of a formal sitting room and that oh. never get used. You know what I mean? There's like the formal living room and then there's the den, yeah. which is something yeah, yeah, I yeah, never yeah, understood. Yeah. yeah. And now I'm like, oh God, is that is this the den is where we have the TV. Den. Right, right, right. Uh, right. Is this in a Jane Austen book where like a suitor comes to like yeah. to, <laughs> to, to visit one of the Bennett exactly. sisters? <laughs> Maybe if we put the TV in there, people would gravitate more towards it. But the other piece of it is that Chris and I just don't end up watching TV together that much because if he's watching something, if it's not something I don't want to watch, I'm not just like, oh, sure, I'll, you know, do dishes while you watch it and sort of half watch it with you. Right. It has to. I see. I see. You have to like physically go into the to the room. It's a commitment. And it's not. Yeah. I think that we're in the living room area, which is also connected to our kitchen. I feel like even if I didn't want to half watch it, I'd hear stuff in the background and then maybe the next morning at breakfast, they'd be like, fill in the holes for me of that thing I saw you were watching. Or what was that thing you're watching? Whereas now he's watching a thing. I have no idea what it is. I'm not asking questions about it. And if it is not fully compelling to me, I'm not going to watch it with him. But I think I would be more willing to watch it with him if it was A, in the living room, but B, and this is where things get controversial. This is where we expect people to call in. (laughs) In the bedroom. This is a, not a pitch anyone ever makes, but I know. On. So I know. And I, I'm not and I haven't done this because I trust the sort of mainstream wisdom around this, that TVs in the bedroom are by and large not a good thing. And the people who put them there end up moving them out. I feel like there was a time where yes. the wisdom of putting your TV somewhere sort of removed where there'd have to be real intention behind turning it yes. on. We were living in a different era of media then. One, none of us uh-huh. have live TV anymore. So there has to be intention behind putting the TV on because you can't just put it on as background noise, right? So if uh, I'll come back to that, but yes. Okay, I, yes. I don't have I, live TV and we don't watch sports in my house. So it's like- I think sports and I think the sports and news people mm-hmm. are different people and they do put yes. things on the background. Right, and we're neither yeah. of those. And okay. And so I'm not worried that that's what would be going on in our house. yes. My feeling is we make a choice to watch something if we're using the TV at all. And in that way, it could actually be good in the bedroom because I do think I would be more willing to watch something I wasn't that excited about if I could do it laying down in a comfy bed, right? Totally. I think the strongest case I can hear is that I often fall asleep on the couch Mm -hmm. watching something. And this way I wouldn't have to like wake up and go to bed. (laughs) Aren't you also worried that you're going to be trying to go to sleep and he's going to try to keep watching something or vice versa? I am slightly worried about that. There's a reason that I've been thinking about this for years, but haven't done it. I'm slightly worried about that, but I think I could probably just fall asleep anyway or tell him to come watch it, to go watch it downstairs. I don't know. I also think... I would watch more TV in general, which is something I would like to do. I think I end up not watching <laughs> as much TV as I would like to. I think he and I would watch more TV together. Yeah, and, totally. And I also think everybody's like, oh, it's terrible for your sex life. And I'm like, 
Sure, if you're watching sports, but if you're watching Bridgerton, it's probably pretty good for your sex life. I I think that Bridgerton is a very good example. I'm not sure how much content exists that falls into the Bridgerton category. I mean, I'm constantly seeking out that type of content. So, well, of course, of course, of course. Listen, we've made that very clear on this podcast. Yeah. That's the content we're interested in. I'm really curious yeah. to hear other people's experiences with this. I feel like I've convinced some people that I have a case that like you might actually bone more and at the very least you'd watch more TV together. And I do think that it's nice for couples to have shared TV shows, right? Like that's a great totally. bonding thing. I think this is also very fascinating to me because I live a very different TV life mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. that I do not have one. Mm-hmm. Thomas and I watch things on a 13-inch laptop and yeah. have for a decade. And it is not like a premiere viewing experience no. by any stretch. I just don't give a shit about But TVs. you watch more TV than I do despite you're not premium. Probably. You my de- non-premium yeah, experience. Yeah, you definitely do. Yeah. I'm jealous. Like, I, you know. I, Are you? Yes. I I mean, well, this is part of what I think is hard about this conversation for people our age because we grew up with TV having a pretty bad reputation yeah. that it rotted your brain. I actually look at TV as better than most of what I consume or at least asking me to focus more and think slightly more critically than most of what's coming out of my Surely more screen. thought has gone into it. Yeah. It's putting distractions away and consuming a story for pleasure. Absolutely. I think that I don't do enough of that and I would like to be doing more. And and part of how I would like to be doing more of that is watching TV. Can we talk about the term social omnivore? Mm-hmm. So Bon Appetit publishes an article by Ali Francis and it calls a rising lifestyle. And I was at first kind of like, oh my God, do we need like a whole article about this? I immediately got it. I A, felt like I didn't even need to read the article. I was like, just having the term there, it, you understood what it meant. Yeah. And what it means is somebody who chooses to subscribe to a certain diet, not, and by diet, I don't mean um, weight loss diet. I mean it in the sense of yes. like you're a pescatarian, yeah, yeah, yeah. you don't eat gluten, you don't, whatever it is. But in social settings, when something is served to them, they will make an exception for the sake of the social situation. And I was like, and I think it's like in a large part for the sake of the social situation. I also think as someone who has been practicing this for, for, I don't know, a decade or whatever. I don't know, Claire. I I think I would have to, even though I don't want to. Mm -hmm. I think it's also because sometimes with meat. It's not that I don't like meat. It's not that I like don't enjoy it. It's that I want to consume less of it. Mm -hmm. And this feels like a good, like good bumper to put up to be like, well, I just don't eat it at home. And then that cuts down a lot of the consumption. So then when I do eat it out, it feels like a treat or whatever. Yes. I agree. I agree. I I decided after thinking about the article that I like that it exists. I think it's helpful for two types of people. One, people who were doing this anyway, but maybe felt some sort of guilt or weirdness around it, right? Like I do think there's people who want to be a vegetarian, but then feel bad when they eat some meat out. You don't feel bad about it. You can just acknowledge like there's a reason you're doing this and it's a good reason because eating with other people is this important social and cultural act that we engage in and choosing to do it differently when you're with people than when you're at home by yourself or with your family makes total sense for people who might want to adopt certain eating practices, but tend to have an all or nothing approach. It sort of opens up this third possibility, right? The like people pleasing component of this is very Mm -hmm. interesting to me. The not wanting to inconvenience people, but I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing. I don't think so either. Eating with other people is a really important thing. Changing your behavior when you're eating with other people makes sense. I was thinking about how you and Chris both react when 
we're out to dinner and they yeah. say, are there any dietary restrictions? And you and Chris both have them. And <laughs> neither of you will own up to it when asked. And it is such a funny Midwesternish thing that you do. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And I always interpret it as you not wanting special treatment or to call attention to it. And so then there's always this beat where I think, am I supposed to call it out for or not almost yeah, wanting to protect you or just do this yeah, yeah, favor yeah, yeah. for you? Like, oh, you you don't want to say it because you feel weird about it. So I should just raise my hand and say it because who gives a fuck? But then I'm also like, I don't want to call you out. So then there's always this, it's like, it's probably not even fully three seconds, but it feels like it's <laughs> one second to see if anyone's going to say anything. Two of the awkward looking at each other, like, am I going to say anything? And then a third second of the waiter just smiling. They know exactly what is going on because this happens all the time. <laughs> and they're just like, are you going to say it or not? Because okay. I'm not going to push you on this. And then they leave. Okay. And those are the three chapters of that interaction. And it feels deeply sort of Minnesota nice of like, little old me, I might have a terrible reaction if you serve me a bell pepper, but I am never going to like say that to you. <laughs> well, here's the thing for me. Mm-hmm. I can read a menu myself right. and can navigate what is on a menu. Mm-hmm. And the things I'm avoiding are usually chicken, which is mm-hmm. made pretty clear. Yes. Or gluten, which is sometimes a little more vague. Mm-hmm. I'm not celiac. Right. It's not going to ruin me yes. if I consume this. So what I don't want to do is say, "Oh, I, you right. know, I avoid gluten," and then have them come back and be like, "So I just checked with mm-hmm. the chef, and there's a splash of soy sauce yeah. in this soup." And I that I don't want. Yes. I don't want like that feels way too much for the level of dietary restriction I'm dealing with. I understand that completely. And I and I also understand the feeling of being like, I don't want attention drawn to me, especially depending on who you're eating out with. And then you're like, and now I have to explain to you what my issue is. With what this. my social omnivorism looks like or like whatever. Like, who cares? It's so boring. Yeah. <laughs> what weird physical reaction I have <laughs> yeah. if I eat this ingredient that's like maybe not that much fun to discuss, right? Like, who wants that? Thank you so much to the Georgia Tech Scheller College of Business for sponsoring today's episode. You know, one thing that I think about a lot these days is how I got a lot out of college, but I also feel like I left so much on the table. I just feel like I was way too young for it and in a lot of ways, way too young to appreciate it. And what I would do if I were in the position to return to school now and just how much more I would get out of it and how much more I would value it. And it is one of those moments in time, you know, post-pandemic and given sort of like where things are economically, where I think a lot of people are thinking about going back to school. And a lot of people are realizing they had goals that they weren't aware of before or they want to transition their careers. And the Georgia Tech Scheller College of Business is an amazing place to do this. Through a business education at Scheller, women will gain infinite opportunities to grow and transform both personally and professionally while learning from the brightest minds at the intersection of business and technology. Scheller offers full-time, evening, and executive MBA programs that are consistently ranked top 20 in the nation. Scheller is located in the heart of Atlanta's Tech Square, an area with the highest density of startups, corporate innovators, and researchers in the southeastern U.S. 
Scheller's MBA career services are ranked top five in the world, five years running. In fact, their class of 2022 graduates had a 100% employment rate. Women are leaders in the Scheller community and have many opportunities to build their leadership skills through student-led clubs, committees, events, and leadership development programs. Scheller offers many scholarships for women, making an investment in you and your MBA accessible. Visit gtmbawomen.com to learn more about Scheller's MBA programs. That's gtmbawomen.com to learn more about Scheller's MBA programs. Hey everyone, it's Kelsey Kreppel, full-time YouTuber, part-time preschool teacher, and now the host of the podcast Circle Time. Join me every week as me and my guests mix the childlike wonder and conversational openness and acceptance of preschool that we're all nostalgic for with the realism, honesty, and wisdom baked into adulthood. With classroom-structured roots, we'll rehash standout moments of day-to-day life, dive into buzzy pop culture moments, and really just get to know each other on a deeper level. Make sure to follow me on Instagram at Kelsey Kreppel and follow the show wherever you get your podcasts. May we discuss room dividers? Let's discuss room dividers. I, for the longest time, always thought that they existed in more or less one design sensibility. And it's like a screen. It's a screen. It's a like screen a folding screen. With yeah. some bamboo on it. You know? You know what I picture, Claire? <laughs> uh-huh. I picture multiple, the sets of multiple musicals, Mm. but really like South Pacific or Mm -hmm. something. Like something where there's like meant to be someone changing or showering (laughs) or getting ready. And there's always a screen and like a dress thrown over it or like something. That's what I picture when I picture room divider. I believe in in, in theater, it is referred to as a scrim. I have been trying to figure out a way to rearrange my desk or my working situation at home. And the most obvious thing to do is to turn my desk towards a window, but I have not done it because it would mean that there would be a treadmill in the background of all my Zoom calls. And finally, I had this aha moment of, oh, a room divider could solve this. I could just put a room divider in front of the treadmill and then move it whenever I actually need to use the treadmill. And lo and behold, Lycan, this amazing home store in Brooklyn that is Mostly vintage, mostly vintage. But it's increasingly more and more new stuff. And this, the, these room dividers they sell are are not vintage. They have these really good ones that I I realized in doing my research. They're derivative of this Artec design called the Alto, but they're really attractive. They roll up really nicely. It solves a problem for me that five years ago never would have even occurred to me because I wasn't doing Zoom calls, and all of a sudden. <laughs> what is behind all of a sudden our backgrounds matter yes what is behind me really matters and impacts where I'm going to put my desk which is a very new problem and I'm like I wonder if this has this has impacted the market for room dividers I wonder if everybody's doing this because it's a great background obscure yes 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 we had in our office in of a kind office Mm -hmm. in Dumbo we had bookcases on wheels yes that we would like roll around and use as room dividers and backdrops for photo shoots and all kinds of stuff incredibly useful Incredibly useful. And when I lived in a studio before that, I also had a very similar setup. When I lived in a studio, I had them between my like, quote, living room and my Mm -hmm. quote bedroom. And they weren't a wall by any stretch, but they still did that work. And also the nice thing about the bookcases is that they do have utility. Yes. If you have the footprint to put them there, they like do work too, which is nice. I agree. That that was how, you know, in our office, they give us a semblance of some privacy some privacy, you know, didn't actually exist. But you reminded me in the show notes about something I totally forgotten about, which is that I had a string curtain hanging from the ceiling 
as a room divider when I lived in. A what st- if you had that now? <laughs> what if you just had a string? Should I just put a string you? curtain in front of the treadmill? Yeah, there you go. I loved it. You were like, remember? You, you just wrote, remember when it. you had a string curtain? And I was like, wow, <laughs> I do, but I would not have been able to get there unless you reminded me. And <laughs> I went digging, and I found that I put it on i on um, I put it on my Instagram in 2011. I just captioned it string curtain. It is so heavily filtered. And you commented, it works. And yeah, it was, I had an L-shaped studio. And so I put it in front of my bed, which was at the short end like of in the L. It gave, again, the impression of there being some separation between my bed and the rest of the apartment. I loved it. It was- Loved it. I mean, it was one step removed from a bead curtain, but yeah, it was- <laughs> It was an important step removed from a bead curtain, I think. <laughs> it was an important step removed. There's so many good looking room dividers now. I say now, but they probably always existed and I just wasn't looking for them. The one that I feel like is the most sort of compelling just in terms of price point is from the inside, which is that Mm. furniture home good DTC company that will cover basically anything in any fabric. They have a huge fabric library and then these sort of basic classic profiles and they have what they call the scalloped screen which is a cute room divider oh yeah it's a really strong solution and then dwr has one that's 4k which you know depending on your situation might be cheaper than putting up a wall or something (laughs) but it is so beautiful it is striped and then sight unseen in 2019 before they even knew how relevant room dividers would become did a really good roundup of super designy room dividers and the sort of like design classic room dividers that are really cool if you really want to go big. But anyway, just a revelation for me. Yeah. Inspiration. Yeah. May we talk about a few people about the internet? Mm, Let's, let's. So I have been following Emily Sundberg for a while. She is just a gal about the internet, I'd say. She was running social at New York Magazine and The Cut for a while, and I think cemented their social media savvy and, and their big following on social media. And She's also written pieces for them, some of which have gone very viral or felt just very zeitgeisty. So one that you may remember is the whole (laughs) hot girls are drinking whole milk now story, which I have to be. You really were ahead of this, Erica. Thank you. I'm ahead of social omnivorism and I am ahead of whole milk. You know, I am I am there. I'll never forget one day we were at the Odeon and you were like, can I have a regular milk cappuccino? And I was like, since when? And you were like, I don't know. I just realized I liked it more and milk doesn't make me feel bad. And I was like, and also, like, some, most of the oat milk just kind of, I don't know, like it's it. just, yeah, it's not doing a whole lot for yeah. me at this point. And then, I, lo and behold, one month later, this story was just, like, all the cool girls are drinking whole milk again. And then the other one that she wrote recently that was really good, and I think it just came out last week, was called Welcome to the Shoppy Shop. It starts with the idea of what she calls the Shoppy Shop, which are these shops where all the products from your Instagram feed are just beautifully and very Instagrammably merchandised in one store, and they feel like a shoppy shop. And then she takes it one step further and she's like, why is, for example, Grazza olive oil everywhere? And why is it also not just in these lifestyle shops, but at my bookstore and places like that? And so she, which leads her to an exploration of this wholesale platform called Fair. It's a great read. It captures a moment. She's really good at that specifically. And she had been working at Meta and was recently laid off and around that time started her Substack, which is called Feed Me, or I think she had the Substack, but started doing it daily as a paid option. And I think it's almost all behind a paywall, 
It is so worth paying for, at least I have found it to be. It's link roundups that are really looking at culture through a business lens. And that is exactly what she does really well. If you like Dan Fromer's The New Consumer, you will also like this. She's great at capturing this sort of full picture. And then she includes her takes that are short and brief and offer context. I don't always agree with her takes, but I like that she includes them. So for example, this morning, she includes the fact that the founders of Instagram are launching a new text-based app. And this isn't even necessarily a take, but her context that she's offered, she's like, I'm interested in these two, so I'm going to follow this thing. Yes. She, and she's like, you know, I always one thing I find myself coming back to a lot is this Kevin Systrom interview with Stella Bugby from 2019. So I click on that thing. I'm like, well, how did I miss this? It's such a good interview. And I'm fully down a rabbit hole with this thing. And I'm sorry to take this off on a tangent. But what are we, if not tangential with these things? What are we, if not? There is an incredible story in this interview about Kevin Systrom signing the Pope up for Instagram. He travels to the Vatican to convince the no. Pope. Mm -hmm. He goes to the Vatican. No. He sits down with okay. the Pope. He's like, this is the best place to share like your thoughts and what your you're content. doing and your content. If you have something to share, Instagram is the best place to do it. And the Pope tells him, all right, my people will look at it. But, you know, everyone has a boss, so it's not ultimately up to them. I am their boss. And then I have a boss, too. And he points up at the sky. So Kevin's like, cool, cool, cool. Well, let me know when your bosses all figure it out. Flies back to San Francisco or wherever. And a week later, hears from the Pope. And they're like, we're in. Could you come? Oh, God gave, mm -hmm. God gave God his gave approval? Okay. Yeah. The Pope's oh. people said, okay. The Pope said, okay. And God said, okay. Everybody was on board. And so they're like, can you come back and, and, and onboard him onto Instagram? And he's like, I, what does that look like? <laughs> so Kevin's like, you don't need me to do that. You literally just, here's the link. You just sign up. And his COO comes over and is like, you will go You're to doing Rome. It. <laughs> you will go to Rome. Yeah. Well, also because it's not, it's not even about the needing help onboarding. Mm -hmm. It's like, it, it's like, actually this man, give him a little bit of strategic help. Help <laughs> him get his first three posts up, you know? Like, let's handhold a little bit here. Well, I, I don't even have the impression that that's what happened. I'm just going to read you this bit. So CEO says, you get yourself to Rome. We went two days later. We showed up and he was finishing mass. We had just flown in. We were bleary eyed. He walked in and he turned the corner and he goes, Kevin, it was like seeing an old friend from your basketball team or something. It was such a fun moment for me. Just his humility and friendliness throughout the whole process was pretty awesome. We had an iPad and it was all set up. The name was filled out. So literally all he had to do was click sign up. Like he just flew to Rome, to the Vatican, you know, goes to the Vatican and just asked the Pope to click sign up. Yeah, he, te he technically went to Vatican City. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway, incredible story that I would not have found if... Emily had not included it in this thing. It's catering to my interests. It's exactly the types of take and context that I am interested in. And I have to say, these link roundups, especially the daily ones, I think are really hard to get right. Oh, they're right. so hard. And I'm thinking about who your reader is and how to distill your take in the yes. content and pull out the most interesting quote or bit. Yeah. After School by Casey mm -hmm. Lewis about Gen Z mm -hmm. is one of my absolute mm -hmm. favorite ones that yeah. I read most days. And it's one of those things that like, Reading it sparks thoughts about other yes. things, too. Yes. And I like these ones that aren't trying to capture it all, but are just capturing a specific slice of culture. And Emily's is, yes. you know, is business culture. And Casey's is really specifically Gen Z. And then there's public announcement from Chris Black and James Ellis, which is sort of a blend of music, business, pop culture. Yeah. And it's 
it's just these people sort of take on like, here's the news you need to know. And I, I would absolutely read an explainer on how these people do this because it's definitely yeah. not just going through their Facebook feeds. I mean, it must just be RSS, <laughs> like I, you know, which is where you used to get these lit. You would just be like, God bless Google Reader. Right? God bless. I, yeah. yeah. And anyway, bless these people who are doing this work for us. And Emily Sundberg, keep it up. Another gal about the internet I'd like to discuss. Yeah. Delia Kai, who we have had on the podcast, she used to have a newsletter called D's Links, which was also, it was like a bit more of a specific deep dive into a single topic, but it kind of, and, and was like more media mm-hmm. focused, but it was in this vein. It was daily. Mm-hmm. It was impressive. Mm-hmm. Now she's a writer at Vanity Fair. She also was a writer on Twitter and she has a debut novel out called Central Places. Obviously you should read it, but you should also engage in the phenomenal marketing, specifically her Instagram for the book which is all about either growing up as a kid of Chinese immigrants or growing up in Peoria slash Dunlap, Illinois, where I also grew up. Mm -hmm. I engage in the second segment of that content as if it were made just for me, (laughs) only for me, which it sort of is because it's made for a very small audience. Yeah, it was made for people who can relate to what it was like to go to Dunlap High School. Yeah. And calls out really specific local restaurants. And, you know, that we Peoria, Illinois used to be the global headquarters of Caterpillar as in Caterpillar tractors. Mm -hmm. And so there was like a post on Caterpillar Nepo babies Mm -hmm. and like this sort of thing. (laughs) Caterpillar Nepo babies. (laughs) (laughs) Do you see why I feel like it's for me? Of course. Just special for me. I also have to make a side note that the other best piece of marketing for this book that I have seen so far was a tweet Mm -hmm. from the Dunlap High School football team promoting the book. Wow. DHS grad. I would lie (laughs) if I didn't say I got like a tear in my eye. DHS grad Delia Kai wrote this incredible article about her return trip to DHS in 2017. She just wrote her first novel and you can pick it up via the link below. Congrats, Delia Kai. Cute. Oh my God. This is incredibly charming. It's so charming. It's so charming. All of this is like a little bit just in praise of niche content, Mm -hmm. which feels very 2009 Tumblr to me of just this, let's do the deepest of dives, Mm -hmm. the most knowing references for seven people. I think you're right to credit Tumblr with sort of creating slash recognizing the value of these incredibly niche spaces. I'm sure internet historians are so mad at me right now. They're like, it was why? But the reblog made it easier, I think, to sort of curate these very specific things and and to not have it be that time intensive to do it. Well, because if you're only making content for a small segment of people, it also can't be a full time job. Great point. Two that I follow of these small biz memes, which is so good. It's if if you have run a small business, if you have worked for a small business, it is if you've had an Etsy account. Yes, ever. it is so good. The other one that's really funny is dank art director memes. Which I'm not even an art director, but it's just, <laughs> you know, if you have ever. But you are dank. <laughs> I am totally dank. I have dealt with clients before. It's just, you know, these things just really make you feel seen. Well, I'm going to follow Delia's niche Instagram so that I can understand you better. I love this. One other woman about the internet that I would like to discuss is this financial literacy TikToker, Seema Sheth, aka Bobima. Like I presume Seema, Seema, Bobima. Mm-hmm. I presume. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Banana, Fanafo, Fima. Yeah. <laughs> C5O. <Thank> uh-huh. <laughs> financial literacy in general is just so fascinating mm-hmm. and something that we as a society suck so much at. And I cannot believe how little of this we were like forced to learn. It's crazy, like, right? 
why why were we not forced to have sophomore and junior year classes in high school on this? It's nuts. We had home ec where we learned to sew, basically, right? And kind we of how like microwaves kind of worked. did. Definitely how microwaves <laughs> were. And now <laughs> I was talking to my niece the other day who goes to public school in Philadelphia. She's in second grade. And she starts telling me a story. And she's like, so then in social emotional learning class, I had to do da da da. And I was like, oh, that's a class Pardon? now? Pardon? I was I mean, like, it's great. great. I love that this is now just a part of the core curriculum in our public school system. If we got to social emotional, maybe maybe now our next step is getting getting personal finance classes. In fourth grade, we learned how to write a check and how the stock market worked. And each group had to pick a stock to invest in. We My group picked Blockbuster. Which at the time was a wise was choice. Was a smart investment. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> wise investment. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was a real pre-Reed Hastings exactly. moment. God, like all of this. Mm-hmm. This makes me so mad. It's so fascinating. I will consume any content related to this, mm-hmm. especially as it like in pop culture. Mm-hmm. So this football player, Carl Nassib, was on the HBO show Hard Knocks and when he played for the Cleveland Browns. And there is a delightful clip of him explaining compound interest mm. to his teammates. Mm-hmm. You should watch it. It's like there's it's very bleeped out and it's like two minutes and it is not perfect mm-hmm. at all because his explanation of compound interest involves 10% returns. So your mm. money doubles mm-hmm. like over which seven happens years, all the time. Which is not, yeah. not, not true. But the point of it was just like very like mm-hmm. compelling and that he was like, save your money and think about mm-hmm. the few, the like potential future of this money. And so when you go buy this like ridiculous Rolex, think of what that money could be in 20 right. years if you didn't buy mm-hmm. the Rolex, mm-hmm. et cetera. I want to know where all like the pop culture, financial literacy moments you all appreciate. Yeah. And, but to come back mm-hmm. to Seema Sheth, AKA Bobima. Mm-hmm. She is a credible source. She's an SVP at the St. Louis Fed. And she just released this series of like a 30-day financial cleanse Mm -hmm. on TikTok. Mm -hmm. Cleanses are like bad cringe for sure. Mm -hmm. But it is good marketing. It is. So there are 30 videos and there there are like a ton of that were I found really interesting. One was about um, if you have variable income, giving yourself a faux salary. So setting up an income bank account where your funds come in, but then doling yourself out a consistent amount of money on a weekly, bi-weekly, mm-hmm. monthly, whatever basis that's somewhere between your high and low month to smooth things out. She gets into just the types of credit, you know, installment credit with like buying a home or buying a car or revolving credit and methods of paying off credit cards. So there's like, like there's a range of the types mm-hmm. of things here. There are little tasks like doing a beneficiary check, which she mm-hmm. calls out that like, maybe you were like dating someone Mm -hmm. or married to someone and that's changed. And if something were to happen, they would get your 401k. Like maybe you don't want that to be the case. And then there are a deep dive into savings. And she talks about savings differentiation. So thinking about, you know, saving for emergency fund, separate from vacation, separate from retirement, separate from any other goals and trying to like parse those things Mm -hmm. in your brain or in the accounts themselves. She also talks about saving by buckets of time, which I had never heard of as a concept. So thinking, what's money I might need over the next year or two? Mm-hmm. What's money I might need over the next five years? What's money I might need over 10, over 20? Even if you don't know what that money might be for, mm-hmm. so that you can allocate it for things that might come up. Um, so she's saying like, you have different savings accounts for different buckets of time. You could. Okay. Yes. Okay. Got yeah. It, got it. Got yeah. It. Yeah. Instead of trying to figure out, which I think a lot of financial advisors would be like, well, what do you want in 20 years? Mm -hmm. Or what do you want in 40 years? And you're like, I don't fucking know. Mm -hmm. At least this is being like, oh, this is for that period. And maybe it's an easier thing to wrap your head around Mm -hmm. than 
trying to solve the question of what do you want? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I find it to be really fascinating. And the comments are really good. And she responds to people and people like talk about like the things they're going to do. And that's just extremely charming. There's a little bit of like TikTok ridiculousness Mm -hmm. and just like performance to it. But I also just love the like go where they are. Yeah, totally. I agree completely with that. And they're like definitely books that people could read, of course. Mm -hmm. But this person is doing a good job mm-hmm. of conveying this information. She knows what she's talking about. And for many people, this is like where they already are right. and the way they're used to consuming content. And it makes it feel like entertaining and yes, not like homework. Of course. There are a lot of hurdles, most of them psychological, to picking up a personal finance book. Yes. And and also to to actually reading it. And I, I have to say that this is something that I think that Susie Orman is really good at. And I know that she is a complicated character in various ways and there are very valid critiques of her. But I do think I read one of her books and I was really impressed by her ability to identify how emotional and psychologically complex these issues are. And she spent the first big chunk of this book I read just being like, you got to like move the guilt and shame aside. You didn't do anything wrong. You're not a bad person because you haven't been saving all of this stuff, which I think was really necessary for her to get to a point in the book where people could actually hear what she had to say in terms of instruction and advice and explanation. Can we end with a tweet? Mm, mm -hmm. So we saw a tweet. (laughs) That's the setup. We saw a tweet and it said, this is she, my mom answering the phone. (laughs) It It was from... It was from Lily the Cable Guy on Mm -hmm. Twitter, which is Lily Moroda, who's the co-host of Celebrity Book Club podcast, which has come up on this podcast before. I it was transportive for me. It it was like I it just I I yes. Well, I say the same thing because my mom always said it. So in my mind, that was grammatically like that is the way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, this is how you say it. And yes, my mom always said it. And to the extent that I ever even answer the phone and someone asks to speak to me. You, well, actually, that's not true. Usually I say, may I ask who's calling? Because it, if they're asking to speak to me, it's usually not somebody I want to talk to. True. There's something like sort of putting on airs about it. And I can't explain why. Of course. Why. It's so absurd. <laughs> it's basic, It's like using the royal we. It's really weird. It's very regal. This is she. But I don't. It's like referring. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is she. Yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> like the more you say it, the more it's like. No, it's no, very, no, it's very ladies and gentlemen, her like it's <laughs> it's absurd. It's totally absurd. Uh, call us, leave us a voicemail. Tell us how you answer the phone. Tell us where your TV is in your home. Tell if you us. have one. If you even have one. That's the show. This has been a production of Dear Media, and we are so grateful to the talented team over there for helping us make this podcast happen, especially to our wonderful producer, Ali Slice. You can follow us on Instagram at a thing or two HQ. And if you have ideas for our show or want to advertise, email podcast at a thing or two HQ.com. Find show notes and sign up for our newsletter at a thing or two HQ.com too. If you love the show, consider supporting it by signing up for a secret menu also at a thing or two HQ.com. note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.